you need a culture change. And the new guys you're going to employ are not handling machines. They are handling stock taking. They are handling agreements and discuss. They are giving service, design support, things like that instead. Uh, they're doing completely different things than running your DC machine. And that exactly. is... Yeah, but that's the, the there's something like the ducklings mother uh, walking them through the park and yeah. you are the new project manager whatever you want to call him is the ducklings mother and the other ducklings which are the casting parts follow them around until they're delivered to the customer. Hello, welcome to this new podcast of the Goldcaster. I'm here with, together with Stefan Zetterström. My name is Fabian Niklas. And today we talk about a very interesting topic, which is hated by most foundries. It's high mix, low volume. Yeah, the question is, can you make money of it? Uh, I claim that you can, because I know some guys that actually do uh Quite good work. I mean, you know them as well. Uh, our dear Canadian friends turning mm, many millions in this. And, and the last time I checked, they drove very nice cars and have very good P&Ls. So I think it's worth discussing. Oh, it's definitely worth because projects are currently rare. And if you want to have to fill your pipeline of production, it's always a good thing to squeeze one or two projects in. I think... Not to be philosophic, be, being more practical, I think it has to do with everything else than that die casting, the die casting machine. I think it's about more other topics that you have to have under control to make money in this segment. Um, my suggestion is we go run through a couple of perspectives around this question, and then in the end, we discuss what do you need to have in place to be successful in high mix, low volume. Perfect. Let's start with the general automotive caster usually if you're casting parts for the automotive industry you're used to very high volume high automatization and a high volume over years with a planned strategy for years and that's usually how it runs if you have something like with 50 100 200 300 800 thousand pieces a year and then someone comes around and says hey i have something Two and a half thousand, five thousand, seven half thousand pieces. That's something you're not gonna take into your foundry because it doesn't fix your production mix. But you do anyway, right? Yeah, that's that's the issue. You take on these projects on one condition to get the following big volume project. And usually you get only the project if you take on other things. For example, if you want to have a big BMW part, you also have to take the parts for Rolls-Royce. Mm. Or for if Volkswagen case, then you have to take the Bentley parts. They're not that high in volume. But Guess still. what? That was exactly what I did in my, my beginning of my career. I was a, a purchasing, a strategic purchaser was my title at Ericsson. And, and you had something 150,000 a year. Everybody wanted that. And then I had this 5,000, you know, a battery box for the system. And I said, well, guys, if you don't take A, you don't get B. Sorry. Yep. But that's something with a pressure situation. And in that situation, you, all, you don't get the prices you need to build up that smaller volume. But isn't it? I have a feeling sometimes when I talk with, I mean, uh, 
we all know where you come from. Uh, big founder groups, they they kind of glue the etiquette of strategic importance on things. And, and, and it's strategic important to have AMG or a Porsche or a Volkswagen or, or whatever. And, and to get that, they do pretty much anything which actually results in, in pretty many tools for high mix, low volume. Yeah, definitely. But it's not like the high mix of customers. It's just few customers and a high mix of parts. And because it's such a good customer, you take it in. Yeah, uh, we can have a special pod about this, about strategy. I, I think this is the most misused word that, that we are throwing around. As soon as we have a problem in a debate or a discussion, we say it's strategic important. But yeah. uh, but it's not a strategy to take everything because you're you're working with them for a long time. That's not a strategy. That's just being used as a dumping no ground for the parts nobody else wants. But, but but my point is that there's strategy, there's tactics, and there's management, day-to-day -day management. And what we call strategy is very often the tactics or the day-to-day -day management of things. Strategy is something completely different. It is more a question of we have to be technology leading in surface treatment, for example. That's a strategy. How to compete in a few years and, and actually have the upper hand. The tactic could be to take the small volumes to get the big volume. But I think we pretty often see that when a big volume is coming around, there's a second source, and then you're into this game, and then you actually start to have this low volume, uh, low margin, high volume production yet again. I, I think the best guys in this worldwide is the tier ones. And the problem is with low margins, high volumes, is that you have a very high probability that you run into a customer complaint that will cost you more than your profit margin is. Oh, yes. And you still have to deliver the parts and there's this chance for another one and another one. So why are people bringing in low volumes, high mix products into your funding? I, I think it's kind of given, but we are blessed in the die casting industry. So we, we don't reflect on this. But I have the, the nice position of being a purchaser and I've seen what does it cost to mill out a part from a block comparison to die casting. And, and die casting in my belief system, is the world's most productive process at all. Because you take an ingot, looks like a loaf of metal, you melt it and you put it into a machine and 60 times per hour, you actually get out a 3D shape with a very high design complexity. That part is really near the end shape. You just have yes. to drill some holes and get some threads in and yeah. you're basically done. You can add it to the production line of the car. Yeah, and if you want to put it on the upper level, you actually just shin off a surface for an interconnecting telecom, for example. That, that's that's the only thing you do. Then it's done. So I mean, if you look at the radio filter back then in the end, end of the 90s, milling out the block was 500 euros. Getting the part completely done, casted, surface treated, machined, was what? 15. I mean, that's a massive, massive, massive saving. So, so if you're a customer and you're having just, you know, 1,000, 5,000 and the high runner is 15,000, imagine the cost if they will start to, to actually do this from a block with machining. Now, 
The problem you have if you are buying high mix, low volume is that you very often have to choose very small foundries that are specialized in this. So logistic and service in that end is perfect, but technology level might be debatable. And also the one downside to that low volume is that you still have to buy the tool. And Mm. that, depending on the complexity on the size, will set you back a lot of money right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And that's why people have been rushing to to China, right? If something happens with the tool, you need a backup tool, or depending on your delivery schedule, you need at least a new inserts or parts of the ingate. That's something you still have to buy, and that's quite a high investment for the start. If you if you if you decide to be, become a high mix, low volume uh, producer, what do you need, Fabian? So you need the machines in a size that are most likely to fit most of these low volume parts. And then you need a system to change the tools quickly and also keep the variation of alloys very low. I would argue about something else. Oh, please go on. I would argue that you need to have uh, two things, um, contracts. Let's say that you're uh, supplying 5,000 parts a year to a customer. He's, he's working, let's say, 10 months a year. So you deliver 500 parts every month. Then there's a design change. You must have very strong agreements that the engineering change over, they take the full responsibility of what you have in your warehouse or anything like that. And they also take responsibility if the product dies, because normally a a high mix, low volume uh, purchaser has many nice, interesting products out there, especially medtech. And you never know which one they will kill, replace, and telecom is even worse. And that means that you could be there with a half year of production in your foundry if you're really, really unlucky, that will be just wasted and someone has to pick up the bill. So that's point number one. I want to add for the readers that are not familiar with the die casting industry, casting 500 pieces, that's basically maybe two shifts and then you're done. And you need one shift to adjust the tool, heat it up, and one to take it down. So nobody will cast one day a month just for one. They will cast like two, three thousand that you have one big batch and will deliver it over the following month. Yeah, absolutely. And and the second thing you have to have, you, you have to, you know, in Sweden, we have something called Smörgås board. And I think this has become international that it's like a grand buffet of a lot of things from herring to croissants, more or less. And the thing is, if you're going this way, you have to have businessmen making the price list. It's more like a menu in a restaurant. If you go to a high volume producer, you ask for beef with potatoes and gravy. Is there a price? 90, 95 or whatever. And and people pay this repeatedly 100,000 times a year. But small companies or product owners with uncertain forecasting systems, they say they need 5,000. All of a sudden, they need 7,200. That means that you have to cast 2,200 more. What happens then? Well, you have have to bring up the tool to the machine and you have to do a lot of things and blah, 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 blah. Meaning the casting itself will never carry enough turnover to secure your profit margin. So you have to charge for the services. And here comes the thing, the one, the guys I know that are very successful in high mix, low volume, 
they are very good in charging and, and make it clear for the customer from the start that, you know, if you need an express flight, it will cost like this. If you need 25 parts more, it costs like this. Here's the price list and it's in the agreement. There's never a question that it is the small bills that make up the profit in these companies. The changes, that's always also for the large volumes that the way you make money. But especially for the small volumes, you pay the price that you bring in with the risk because mm -hmm. it's quite easy that it dies down. It's not a problem if it, you have like 5,000 pieces on contract and now they want to have 10,000. That's easy to deliver. It's more or less like going the other way that it falls through and you still have all the costs. But and you want, you want to be rewarded for the risk you take. And that's why the price is higher and also your profit margin is higher. And then with this small amount, it's like a numbers game. If you have 10 of these contracts to fall through, you're still coming up ahead. Exactly. And, and here comes my, my final point why you should go here is that all big things start as small. And if you look at the companies who are asking for high mix, low volumes, they are very often very profitable. We're speaking about medtech. Uh, we have some, some examples in LED lighting now. We have some examples in also telecom companies, which are not the big fives, etc. And for them, all of a sudden, they started to have a problem with China. And why is that? Well, it goes like this. These companies are more sensible, sensitive to sustainability questions from their customers. That means that they actually need to have a decent supplier that also, besides the castings, could support them in the way forward to lower the CO2 imprint of the final product. And, and here opens up a, a new set of um, opportunities on the market. If you don't believe me, take the yellow pages, knock in medical equipment manufacturers, and you'll find 200 in Europe that are sizable, that are making some machine that goes bing in the operation room or, or a, in some kind of a healthcare environment. They are actually very profitable. What are they, they looking they for? Really They're looking for other services. Yeah, yeah, they make a lot of money. Because and everything goes into the med tech. It's not like in the automotive industry that the costs are cut down. Med, med tech things cost money. Everybody knows that and it gets paid. Yes. yes. And because of the uncertainty, you don't know which way you do, everything goes. The prices are higher. And a medtech company, if they get a product in a continuous stream without any quality issues, yes, they are happy and they're happy to pay way more than any automotive customer ever will. Yeah, but again, put yourself in a purchaser's share at a medtech company. He's, he's buying one-tenth his account. He has 10 times more article numbers, but it costs even more if he's late with deliveries. And he has an FDA in the other end of the stick. So he cannot change anything. He just needs a reliable partner that in the beginning of the project is super nice, servicing him, you know, with the draft angles and all these things. Because here comes the second thing. A medtech company or, or one of these smaller companies, they are much more ignorant about casting. So they need more service. Their, their designers needs, needs more service. How to design this thing? What kind of pre-casted hose can I have? What is a thread? All these things that they need to get together for making their product. So okay, you need charging to for service is, is the key here. 
you need to train them to more like a project based build yes. up the knowledge but going into back in the automotive industry there are so many new automotive companies you have to train them in casting technologies oh, yeah. as well so it's basically the same thing but yes. now you have several customers and you each can train them and charge a project based fee on that and yes. that's something that goes directly into your pocket because the people training them are already here exactly so you can actually charge for your overhead twice first on the on the in the project and then in the delivery if you're doing the project smartly you will end up with a product that fits your production needs and then you can run it out fill the voids in your machinery maybe it's a bigger part but it's like mirrored if you're clever and you're okay on the bigger machine we don't have the capacity but on our smaller ones we have the capacity why don't you tell them hey make them in left and right part and then we will cast it on the smaller machine your production is happy because the small machines are filled usually they're fully depreciated so even better for your budgets and then pass them through the rest of your process chain so we said we were going to speak about turnover, money, margin, and, and as always in all our nuggets, we, we ask ourselves, is this something to do if you want to make more money in your industry? I clearly say yes. Yeah, it's more work because you have more customers, more specifications you have to adjust to. But if you're willing to do it, it's yeah, a real but, nugget to go in. Yeah, because what does it take? You have a couple of casting machines. Right. Uh, you have a bunch of guys that wants to to run one article number from January the first to December the last, right? Yeah. So you need a culture change, and the new guys you're going to employ are not handling machines. They are handling stock taking. They are handling agreements and discuss. They are giving service, design support, things like that instead. Uh, they're doing completely different things than running your DC machine. And that exactly. is, yeah, but that's the... the well, there's something like the ducklings mother uh, walking them through the park. And yeah. you are the new project manager, whatever you want to call him, is the ducklings mother. And the other ducklings, which are the casting parts, follow them around yeah. until they're delivered to the customer. Because mark my word, you're never going to make the profit just out of the parts. Yep. The parts are the commodity basically yeah what you could get charged for is a service so it's basically you know software as a service maybe it's more or less like casting as a service but if you looked at let's say that you run 220 days a year it takes one day to put the tool in the machine and one day to make the, the yearly volume to make it easy 100 times you charge what 5000 euros for for setting up the tool 5,000 times 100. And then there you go. You're going to ship these things. Yeah, you charge an extra 39 euros for, for just packing the parts. Okay. Mm -hmm. In automotive, you get nine. And on it goes, on it goes, on it goes. So In automotive, you already have to buy the boxes which are circulated. Yeah, with a certain brand on them. Yeah. And then you have the project bar. Let's say that you bring in five projects. There's a fee of what, 20, 30,000 euros to develop this that you normally just hide in your tool cost because you add something towards your customer. But now maybe you're a little bit more open and say, for those 20,000 euros, dear customer, you get this. You don't get this. Ah, we don't need that. Yeah, maybe. At the end of the day, they will ask for it. How does it the service industry? If you go to your Starbucks, you have the small coffee, medium, and the large one. You yes. can have it 
give them fancy names. And usually, if you have with three options, people tend to take the middle one. So many fine restaurants have like two to 5,000 euro wine bottles on their menu to make the 50 or 60 euro per bottle wine look like it's affordable. And people buy it more just because there's a very expensive bottle on the menu. Make it should a, also, make the same should way. also be a very cheap one. You don't want to be the cheap guy in a restaurant. So you have to have one for, for $11.99 or something, right? Yeah. So you take the reasonable middle ground. And if you offer services, like, hey, your base, like, which we usually put in the tool cost, are, let's take 20,000 euros to develop that. But you can have these, these, these services on top of that. We come to you, train your engineers on how to build it up. Then it's now 50. Another one is we do everything for you and it's the care package and it's a quarter million. Oh, the middle ground sounds quite good. Then I have my final argument why you should go this way. Everything big started small. And we are in a big transition. And and let me take a few examples. First of all, healthcare. I, I love healthcare medical equipment manufacturers because nowadays they're making yeah good, decent, small volumes, right? But what's happening with the population in the world? You see sicknesses that comes with wealth are increasing dramatically. And that means that more and more people will survive so long, so they need more advanced treatments. Even in development countries, I mean, this is another thing. Poverty is actually diminishing on, on the globe, even if far too many people are po- living in poverty. Another thing is lead lightning. You have seen the street lamps, and, and not much happened with the street lamps, at least in my town. But but I, I recently learned that there are 1.5 billion lamps that needs to be changed for making smart grid to work. Why is that important? Well, again, sustainability. You have to save energy because otherwise we need nuclear plants all, all over the globe. We cannot have that. And and what happens then? Well, you have new technologies. You, you need more advanced castings, more formal treatment, blah, blah, blah. And they start small. They are typically high mix, low volume markets right now. But but in five years, dear friends, I, I imagine at least that you will have one, two, three, four, five big players, exactly like the telecom industry was from the beginning. That you invent something, no one really knows what, what to use it for, but hey, they need 5,000 sets of this article number, let's go for it. Because in three years, you never know. But it is like a lottery. You have to have 10 tickets to get the big win. But what you win from this is that you will be in pole position because you know exactly what the customer wants. You can service them. They will rely on you. You have a brand name among your your customer. And all of a sudden, if something of these 10 tickets hits off, you are number one. Automotive industry has an up and down. They don't care about you if they're just, they prognose, said, okay, we will sell 200,000 cars per year for that model. You get the parts for the back, which is a 50-50 split between a different supplier. Now you're making 100,000 a year. They sell only 60,000. They don't care about you. They're like, hey, happens. Yeah. Okay, bye. A business risk. That's a huge risk because you're your only focus is on these big projects. So if they are sorted with a big risk, that are hidden away because mm. the customer at the end decides which cars they buy. Not the automaker says, okay, we're building that many. They have to sell it as well. And with these up and downs, you're quite dependent on the automotive in general. Because if the crisis like the corona crisis or some global economic crisis comes up, 
people tend to not buy cars. I mean, ask the guys that are selling to the middle class in China. If, if you look at the sales numbers for European manufacturers 2022, for how should I put it? Not the most luxurious cars, but, but decently costly cars in China. It just died. So you can look at luxury cars, people buying 150 and more expensive cars. They don't care. They still have the money, whether it's a crisis or not. But the, the ones buying the very cheap cars, it's the same thing. They buy it because they need transportation. But everything that's more luxurious than getting you from point A to point B, that's something that's really dependent on the economic situation of the people. With yeah, the current inflation and yeah. the, higher, the yeah. rise in energy costs, people tend to not buy new cars. And yeah. that's quite a dependency on that industry. If you have like 10 tickets in different industry, telecom, medical companies, then you can balance that out and be more profitable while everybody else of your competition is in a downturn. And you can take that additional winnings and put them into R&D and come up ahead, way ahead of everyone else. You know, take electrical bicycles. I, I was stunned about this. I, I, I need to, to take these two minutes. Sorry, Fabian. Yeah, take it. Yeah, we, we have a, a great guy in Taiwan in my workplace, uh, Tristan. Tristan Lee, right? And and I didn't know the Taiwanese market and it was a lot of bicycles. And, and he was asking and sending us info about these potential customers. And one thing was more fantastic than others. And I, I felt like they must be dreaming in Taiwan. Then I was walking my dogs in the middle of the day, went down to, I, I live in a small village called Tabi Shirikbe. We, we're like 8,000 people. We have a one bicycle shop though. Walks in, you know, check the price tag of the electrical bicycles. Do you know what these cost? They cost as much as the, the cheapest car you can buy. Exactly. They're like, they're exactly. Something like a Tata car. Yeah. You can have a, the electrical bike for that. It yeah, we're, we're around two and a half thousand euros for a normal one, and then like with steam racing bicycles. They eight, go nine, into ten, five 11. digit regions. No, no, no. It was eight, nine, and ten thousand euros for some some of these bikes. And and then you can think like this: there are a lot of brands coming up in Europe now. Uh, I saw the Vectrix brand was was yet another one that that uh, I saw the other week coming up with some castings. And you start to feel like one or two of those will actually be pretty pretty popular because what do they have that the Taiwanese doesn't have? Well, they have a super understanding of the customers in Europe. They know how, how the streets are looking. Then they know about the traffic situation, what kind of brakes they need and, and what design will be in fashion in the next year and, and so forth. So why selling to a car industry where probably a lot of in the population will actually look for the transportation A to B and, and showing up on an electrical bike makes sense because it will give you, your personal brand will increase in your workplace because, yeah, you're super sustainable and you're a wealthy guy, you take a bike. It's great fun to run them. It's not like a motorcycle, of course, but, but they do 50, 50 kilometers an hour. And yeah. you don't need a special license for it. So the entry barrier for going into this purchase is actually pretty low. And if, if you go home to the missus and say, hey, I want to buy a motorcycle, they will say no. Uh, hey, I need to. You, I'm going to ride a bike, bicycle to to work. They would say, "Oh, good for you, right?" Exactly. Yeah. And also, think of your employees casting these parts. Say, "Hey, we have an offer for you. Um, we finance you the bike, and there are parts and you made." Mm -hmm. 
what does it do for your company? Say, hey, great. I made these DFC, these people will walk, uh, drive around in the bicycles smiling all day because they made the parts. They will check up what, when did we make them? How long mm. did it take? And they will be quite proud. And if they're producing not good quality parts, they say, oh, we have to improve something because I'm riding around on it. Yeah, and here comes the thing. If, if you look at manufacturers of electrical bikes, bicycles, uh, and, and other means of transport, and you look at the medical equipment manufacturing industry in, in Europe and, and others emerging things where you have a product, they are, they, by tendency, they are more oriented business to consumer. And that makes it impossible for them to do a greenwashing in China and, and use parts that are driving carbon dioxide because they will be dead as a brand. I, I do a lot of outdoor, you know, all my hunting and all that. And, and it's a big thing. I, I mean, it's it's soon very pretty impossible to buy a Dow jacket that doesn't have certified feathers from birds. Because in the old days, you just ripped the feathers off a, a bird. It was just bleeding and miserable for, for another six months. And then you did it again. Now you have a certificate that uh, for, for this jacket, someone actually put the feathers in a nice pile for you and they're, they're smelling nice and all that. But it's the same thing, it's the same system. So so I don't know, why not go high mix, low volume? Because you never know where it will take you. But but you can be certain if you go into the car industry and a tier one supplier, tier ones, I bet you with a ruler and two points on the paper, you can draw a straight line. And that's probably where you'll end up not making that much money, I can assure you. Exactly. And also it's risk mitigation tactics. And here we are again at the beginning. It's a tactic of risk mitigation to spread your risk as much companies and industry as possible. And then you can go through the deeps. If some industry goes down in a crisis, not mm. every industry goes down at the same point. So you stretch it out and you still have a production running. Yeah, but you have to be smart in your invoicing. You you must have the menu. You, I mean, if you if you upfront tell a, a potential customer what you are going to charge them, they will be scared. But if you actually tell them what they will get for the money and when they need to pay, it will be much easier for them to justify choosing you. I mean, I'm, I'm totally certain about this because when you see a, a number on a paper, you always go, Ooh. Jesus Christ, that, that was expensive. Are we going but, to but everything? In the automotive industry, it's easier uh, to say, okay, we can do it. And then back to be sorry later on, because you cannot make it. Because if you're the one saying, hey, that and that is not possible because of whatever technical argumentation is behind that, yeah, you're out. And yeah, someone else, specification creep, I would say. Yeah, I mean, this says, is hey, we, we do it. And then they do the crossing say, oh, sorry, we cannot do it. Yeah, usually they get forgiven and still keep the part. I rather manage a specification creep discussion <laughs> in, in med tech than I do it in automotive. Because in automotive, it's like, hey, it's just another drilled hole. Med tech is more, and telecom as well, hmm, we need to do this. How will it affect our price? There's a total different culture here. Definitely. And also with different industries, different thinkings, for example, medical industry. They're way more precise. And with that precision carries on in automotive industry and your production processes. That helps to optimize your production without even thinking about it. Tesla, for example, they're hiring their quality managers from the food industry because in food industry, every piece of food that goes out has to look exactly the same. 
for castings. Oh, yeah, not really to that. Yeah, whatever. Mainly it goes out, everything is fine. No, it isn't. And that's why they take other industry in to deliver a new point of view. And that makes them successful. That leads me to, uh, you know, I always, in, in all nuggets we have done, Fabian, I, I always speak about the investment in people instead of machines. And, and, and I think if one wants to go this way, uh, from let's say that you're supplying a tier one now, you got five, six machines, half your family is working here, uh, and you want to do this transition, don't be afraid to hire someone that comes from outside. Give them a two-year contract. You know that they will be crazily misadapted into your organization. They will have a hard time, but they might bring something else. Yeah, but you have to also have a plan how to train them in your stuff. Because the worst thing is someone who hasn't a clue about your industry, about your products, making decisions. Then you just close the company right away. It doesn't really bring you anything. But give them the time to train and develop their ideas from their training. And mm. that's something that leads a lot of time from the people that are already working there. I am, um, okay. But I've done fair share of quotes in my days for, for components in die casting for six to 800 ton machines. You know, the small stuff that goes yeah. to tier ones. And do you know how often I have been calculating the full day just to understand that as cost without the gate and blah, 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 everything, it's 48 to 52% is material and the rest is the casting process. And the machining, yep. I can I can pinpoint down to the decimal more or less, just calculating the number of, of uh, threaded screw holes. It is, I mean... Yeah, if it's quite simple, you can do this calculation, but there are many people that studied something and now know some theories and now push them into the foundry. For example, many think, okay, lean management in the foundry. We don't want to have any um, ready produced parts in our stock to damp up uh, spikes in the production. That's mm. the worst thing you could do. If you cannot deliver it, it gets so quick, so expensive. Especially yes. if the, and that's the thing where the theory you learned doesn't apply everything. And that's what I meant by Give them time to learn before you put them in a decision-making situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see your point. Uh, I have a friend of mine, Mr. Perry Johnson, the owner of Comtech. He, he calls them lean Taliban sometimes uh, <laughs> be, because he's so fed up that on PowerPoint level, it works beautifully. But yep. there's always a hydraulic valve that is malfunctioning in your diecasting machine. Uh, the truck that you send to the customer, Sweden, February ends up in a ditch and you have a line stop. I mean, it's, you have to have some tolerances or to to, to deal with the friction of life, more or less. Exactly. You can use your lean management within your production to stop producing some intermediary projects, but the finished products, you need to have a security buffer in there. But that's a different topic, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I I I think we need to chew around on that because Sometimes I, I get a strange feeling that when we talk about making money in a foundry, we start in the wrong end. Do you think it's maybe more like don't lose money on stupid stuff that you can make the money? I'm more interested to discuss that one has to kill the babies or, or, or your ideas, the ideas of the bright future. Because if, if you start to look in retro perspective, I mean, I, I know people in my dairy industry that are saying that, yeah, but with the next project, I'm going to be so, so successful. And, and then five years passes, you know, and 
when I was a young guy, I felt like, yeah, I won't be around five years from now. I was 27. Uh, I'm 53. I'm still here. So, so I've seen this happen now. How many times is that? Five, ten times in many companies that they don't lift off. They, they are kind of stuck there. But that's another nugget, Fabian. I, I think yeah. we should we should dig into where do a typical fund we actually lose the money. Yeah, that's another nugget. I think we already have enough time and go back to the uh, conclusion to this nugget. Mm. And what we are saying is it's go, there. Really go into high mix, low volume. You don't need to switch over your whole production line. Start small. Start small. Start with a few projects, but don't take just one and say, hey, we tried it. It didn't work. You have to take no. several things. It's like playing the lottery, eight of them, five of them will make you money and then offer your services more than you offer the casting. Mm -hmm. And then you will have a bright future with a lot of deep money in deep pockets that you can spend while everyone else has to take the next downturn. And my final word is that like this, go this way, but think of the branding so you attract those customers that want to hire your old 600 ton machine for the double price. See you next time. Bye. Bye.